Okay, um, I'm going to tell you all about Saul, okay? That's what we started last week, all about Saul. Well, it won't be all about Saul, but it rhymes, and that's really the important thing. Uh, uh, all about Saul. Uh, Saul is mainly um, uh, the main character here in uh, chapters 9 through 15 of First Samuel, 9 through 15, and uh, and then he shares First Samuel with David until finally Saul meets his end on the battlefield. We will have occasion to pick up the story of Saul later, particularly the sad ending where he actually goes to a spirit medium the night before he dies, uh, 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 before he's killed. Uh, uh, he, he will go to a spirit medium so desperate to find out uh, information because God will not speak to him. He's a tragic character. He really is. And we're going to uh, look today at the fall of Saul, uh, having looked last week at the call of Saul. Now that you're uh, settled uh, and I've said something about Chris, let me say something else about um uh, Harold, Harold shared with us uh, that uh, there's a, a significant fee for that graduate record exam, and an angel in Sojourners paid for that, and uh, we just want to thank the Lord for that. We won't mention who that male angel <laughs> is. Uh, we won't mention uh, that that male angel. Anyway, enough said. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, a dear friend, uh, uh, so we thank the Lord for those angels that the Lord brings um, into our lives at various times, and I've had them myself. When I went to college, I had $200 in the bank. Now, you say, well, yeah, but that was before the First World War, <laughs> and it only cost $250 a year to go to, well, no, 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 it was, it was more than that. When I told my mama, and I went home, I said, Mama, I'm going to Bob Jones University. She said, what are you going to do there? I said, I'm going to prepare for the ministry. She said, how can you minister? You stutter. <laughs> and I did, and I didn't have an answer to that. She said, how are you going to pay for it? And I did have an answer to that. I told her, God will provide. My unsaved mama said, oh. Yeah, little did I know that God would provide. And uh, many a time, box 35076, Bob Jones University, I would go there. I forgot the uh, combination, but uh, somebody has paid your monthly school bill. Angels, angels that God uh, uh, sends. Uh, and uh, when we were poor, I was a poor pastor. Now I'm a rich pastor. Um <laughs> No salary, but when we took a pastorate, I got $7,500 a year. What? $7,400 a year, my wife reminds me. $7,400 a year. And uh, I, I, it, it's amazing. Um, uh, opened the mail someday, uh, one day, and, and, uh, and uh, thank you for opening an account at Philadelphia National Bank. I forgot how much it was, $500 I said, I didn't, it didn't make this. I was stupid enough to think they made a mistake, you, you know, so I called them up and they said, well, the person who made the deposit just asked to remain, you know, 
uh, anonymous. I said, oh, okay. So the next year when the came in, uh, you know, I, I didn't call up the bank. I, I, I just realized it was an angel. And, uh, and you know, so we, we have uh, angels like that that God sends into our lives at the time when we need them. Uh, so I thank the Lord uh, to share that uh, with you. Now, uh, Saul, uh, we looked at the call of Saul, uh, and I, just a brief review of last week. No, I won't take a half an hour. Uh, John sometimes taken half an hour and re-preaches his message from last week, and that's good because he gives a lot in a message, and we need a review, but I won't take that much time. But uh, somebody improved my title here. I didn't know what to say, uh, so I, I said, searching for donkeys and finding, a, 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 I, I couldn't think of a D, so somebody told me a, a diadem. If you don't know what a diadem is, then you know why I just said finding a throne. Okay, good. All right. So there were three stages in Saul becoming king, and I mentioned those uh, last week. Three stages. First of all, he was anointed at Ramah by Samuel. He became a Messiah, that is an anointed one, Messiah with a small m, uh, because the Messiah, with a capital M, is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. They were anointed prophets in the Old Testament, anointed priests, and anointed kings. And so he became a Messiah, a Mashiach, with a small uh, M. Uh, then he was selected at Mizpah, standing head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, um, uh, Dick Martin uh, uh, always plays Saul uh, in the Sunday school plays. All right, stand head and shoulders among the midst. And then he was confirmed at Gilgal, uh, and uh, there he received some directions. And it's very, very important that we see those directions. One of the things that Samuel told him, it's very important, in chapter 10 and verse 8, he said, wait for me, wait for me at Gilgal, and I will offer a sacrifice uh, for you and for uh, the the battle with the uh, Philistines. Remember that, chapter ten, verse eight. Wait for me, uh, Saul, because it is related to Saul's uh, failure. He did not uh, wait. Okay, uh, we saw that Samuel <coughs> anointed Saul. But Saul didn't become king till later, and that's uh, uh, not surprising. Uh, that happened with David as well. <clears throat> he will be anointed, excuse me, he will be anointed to be uh, Saul's successor in chapter 16. Oh, I might say preview of coming attractions. Next week, um, <clears throat> Greg Fraser will be teaching in Sojourners. I believe about chapter 15 of of 1 Samuel. And uh, if things go according to plan, Chris Burnett will be teaching Sunday <coughs> after Thanksgiving. And though I can't hold him to that, where he's thinking about uh, the anointing of young David uh, and uh, David beginning. but So David will be anointed, but David doesn't start to operate as king. Can you believe? Not until 2 Samuel 5. So he's anointed as king, then he becomes king. David will be anointed as Saul's successor, but he doesn't really take over until after Saul is gone and after Saul's son 
is gone. So uh, this is a uh, parallel uh, with Jesus anointed uh, as king, but not actually entering in and ruling as king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, that is how we uh, ended last week's message. Uh, Just as Samuel kissed Saul, it was in a sense a welcoming him as he anointed him. We are told to kiss the son at the end of Psalm 2 verse 12. Psalm 2, 12 is what I call the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Psalm 2 is all about the nations going against God and his anointed one. And we are, and uh, uh, the psalmist tells the nations you can avoid destruction if you kiss the son, if you submit to the son, if you believe on the Son and trust in Him. So there's last week. You say, well, I didn't really need to come last week. You gave me the message again. All right, so uh, now let's, uh, let's move ahead. Uh, we've seen the call of Saul. Now, sadly, we move into the fall of uh, Saul. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. Commentators wrestle with this whole thing of Saul. Israel asks for a king. It isn't actually wrong to have a king, but Samuel told them, you know, you should be satisfied that God is your king. So them asking for a king, in a sense, they are rejecting God as king. So God gives them a king. They requested it. Uh, You can see Samuel is not really excited about this. Even after he anoints Saul in chapter 12, he warns them, if you have a king, this is what he's going to do. He's going to conscript your sons into the army uh, and he's going to tax you and he's going to, it's like like Samuel is saying, okay, guys, you want a king. Do you know what a king's going to be like? And Saul, I'm sure, is listening to this saying, oh boy, you know, wow, is this what it's going to be like? Uh, So uh, commentators wrestle with this whole thing. Um, uh, Was Samuel just setting up Saul to fall? Uh, did God approve of Saul or, or, or all, was all of this a trick? I can't solve all the uh, issues that commentators wrestle with that, but we do know this. They got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. They got a king. You know, sometimes the Lord will answer your prayer by giving you what is not best for you, but giving it to you, it's like, okay, you want it? Here it is. Now learn your lesson. You shouldn't ask for it in the, in the first place. And I think this is what's going on. Please don't ask me to give an illustration of that in your life. I'm not. But uh, he, here it is. Okay, uh, you, you want him? Uh, he, he, here he is. Here's your answer to your request. You got him. He's Saul. And he turns out to be a problem from almost from day one. So just be careful what you ask for. Maybe you might ask for something foolish, and the Lord says, do you really want that? Oh, yeah, I want it, Lord. Okay, here it is. Surprise. Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to go into any 
examples there, though I could probably think about some, some in my own life that I foolishly asked for. But just keep in mind, uh, uh, they wanted a king. They asked for a king. All right, here he is. Now you're stuck with him. Uh, and maybe it was a lesson to show them that um, kings are not the answer to your problem, guys. The answer to your problem is obedience, right? Uh, and, and, and Samuel even says that, uh, that, that God wants obedience uh, from you far more than wanting you to ask for a king. You want a king? All right, here he is. But a king is not necessarily by himself going to solve all your problems. As a matter of fact, Saul even increased some of their problems. So maybe it was also a hard-to-learn lesson for Israel that uh, maybe we should not put all of our, what's it, apples in one barrel? Is that it? Apples in one basket. Eggs in one barrel. Yes, okay, good. Oh, if we just had a king. Oh, if we just had a king. Oh, if we just had a king. Oh, if we just had a good president. Oh, oh, here he goes again. Here he goes again, bashing on the president. I am not. I am not. I much prefer a president who will fight for the unborn. I, I, absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? I've said it before. I won't say much again, you know. Can we learn from them? They got a, uh, they got a king. Oh, that's what they wanted. Uh, the issue is the heart and its obedience to God, not having the right ruler. Thank God that uh, in American history, you've had some few godly presidents. I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Somebody just uh, looked at me and said, who? Please don't ask me to, to mention. But uh, every now and then, one of them read the Bible. So, uh, you know, so, uh, but but really, don't, Put your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your hope in the political solution to our problems. Pray for your president. Pray for him. Pray that he'll take bold stands and he'll stand for the right thing. But you know, even with a wicked president, we can live for Jesus and we can obey him. And let's just don't put our faith in the wrong thing. That's all I'm asking you to. They were putting too much faith in in their, quote, president, too much faith in their king. All right, here he is, and oh my, what did he, he he starts acting foolishly almost from day one. Now, we're not told everything about the uh, chronology here. Even the statement in chapter 13, verse 1, is a bit garbled in the Hebrew text. We aren't even sure exactly if we've got the right numbers in that, so much so that the Greek translation of 1 Samuel 13, 1 just leaves it out. So we aren't sure exactly how many years elapse. We don't hear anything about a son until now in chapter 14. Jonathan pops up on the scene. Wow, where did he come from? So we're not sure how, how much uh, time elapsed, but it didn't take long for uh, uh, Saul to start blowing it. His first thing that he did, and we're going to look at two mistakes that he made this week and leave the third mistake for Greg 
Fraser to talk about next week. First of all, a foolish act of sacrifice in chapter 13. Now, keep in mind, like at the end of the book of Judges, uh, the first, uh, well, almost all of 1 Samuel, Israel is living in a bad neighborhood. Okay, they're in a bad neighborhood. And the neighbors are the Philistines. All right, uh, you may pronounce it Philistine. You know, if you want to be Jewish, the girl who, Philistine. <laughs> Stick to preaching, Will. Stick to preaching. The Philistines, uh, uh, it's a bad neighborhood, okay? And they've got these pagan neighbors on the coast, and they're perpetual enemies with them. Uh, Samson was fighting against them. Now they're still there. And they're making incursions into Israel and, and attacking uh, Israelite settlements. And Saul says, we've got to deal with this. Now, we need the Lord's help. So uh, Saul says, you know, we need a sacrifice to accompany our prayer. And Samuel says, okay, but wait for me. Wait for me. It's a test. Saul fails the test. Verse 8. He waited seven uh, First Samuel 13. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. So the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Samuel went out to meet him. Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you? you done. Saul says, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering. Pious words. Okay. I offered the burnt offering. Let me tell you, Saul, You've got a chaplain there. You've got a chaplain, Samuel. You better listen to him. He's got the word of God. He is the voice of the Lord to you, Saul. Listen to him. Obey him. And he says, no, the people, I made the decision. And he disobeys Samuel's word. And he does what looks like a good thing. I mean, isn't offering a sacrifice a good thing? Say yes, it is. But he's disobeying Samuel in doing it. It is never right to do wrong to get a chance to do right. Bob Jones University Chapel saying 101. It's never right to do wrong to get a chance to do right, okay? You know, uh, uh, right does not depend on the circumstances, okay? Do right till the stars fall, okay? Do the right thing. And he's doing something that's good, but he's disobeying God in doing it, all right? Listen to Samuel, Saul. Well, are the people, well, I made an executive decision. Well, if the executive decision goes against a word from God, the executive decision was wrong, Saul. And Samuel takes this very, very seriously. Look at this, verse uh, 
verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have played the fool. You're acting a fool. All right? You, you say you're smiling. Well, anyway, you don't know. You, you've never heard of shacking a fool, but anyway. So you have done foolishly. You, have, you are acting a fool. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We know who that will be. It will be David. Samuel doesn't know that it's David, but he knows that there's going to be a replacement coming. The Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Folks, ancient Israel's monarchy was not an absolute monarchy. It was what we call a constitutional monarchy. A constitutional monarchy means that the king does not just make absolute decisions. The king must rule, or the queen must rule in accordance with the constitution of the country. The constitution of the country allows a king, but absolute monarchs just speak and that's it. Israel's monarchy was not absolute. It was constitutional. And that constitution is what? The Torah, the word of God as it, it is ministered through a prophet, okay? That's why in Deuteronomy 18, when he says that when a, a king, when you put a king over you, he shall not multiply horses, he shall not multiply wives, he shall not go down to Egypt, and he shall keep a copy, a safer Torah, a book of the law by him so that he can read it and obey it. That's a constitutional monarchy, You're not just an autocrat, Saul. You don't make decisions on your own. You must be obedient to the Word of God. And the Word of God came through me and said to wait. Couldn't you wait one more day? It's like five, six, seven. Uh, You know, he waited seven days. Couldn't you wait seven days and one hour, Saul? Oh, I waited seven days because it was seven days and one hour that Samuel came. You say, well, well, well you know, technically, why be so hard on him? Yeah, I can see that. 55, 54, no, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60. That's seven days. All right, offer the sacrifice. Mm-mm, no. He disobeyed. God. Now, that's his first mistake. And what does he do? He assumes the role of a priest. He offers a sacrifice. Now, I realize commentators discuss this. Well, is he wrong because he offers sacrifice or if he's wrong because he disobeys the word of the Lord? He's wrong because he disobeys the word of the Lord. Uh, There is a possibility here that also he offered the sacrifice himself and kings are not to offer sacrifices. So it's maybe a combination of the two. He disobeyed Samuel's word, but also he offered a sacrifice. Priests are to offer the sacrifices, Saul. God's work must be done in God's way to have God's approval. There's all sorts of lessons that are coming out to us here. You don't make it up as you go along, Saul. 
you must obey the word of God. Now, that's the first step, the foolish act of sacrifice. Now, he makes another mistake, a foolish vow about Jonathan. Now, I'm going to take 14 and and stand it on its head. I'm going to look at Saul's act at the end of chapter 14, and then we're going to close with Jonathan's heroic act at the end of the message. So what does he do? Saul takes a foolish vow. He said, cursed be anyone who eats while we are fighting against the Philistines. Cursed be one. Well, who is he to pronounce a curse? What right does he have to pronounce a curse? But he says that. Cursed be anyone. In other words, the soldiers are not traveling on their belly in this war. They're traveling on an empty belly, okay? You must fast. Yeah, boy. I can imagine, uh, you know, uh, cursed be anyone who eats while we are doing battle. And his son, Jonathan, enter Jonathan into the story. We're going to conclude with him. He He's fighting, and he takes his staff, and he sees some honey, and he sticks his staff in some honey and eats it like that. <gasps> he's eating. He's eating. Just to refresh himself. And it actually says that his face is brightened, he's strengthened, and he can go on. An army, what, travels on its belly. Bob King. You know what Bob King was doing? He was not a commando. Bob King was not a commando. Bob King was not a Green Beret. Bob King was not a Navy SEAL. Bob King was a cook. The most important guy in the camp. All right, most important guy in the camp, okay? You know, don't talk to me about the uh, Green Berets and the Navy SEALs. Uh, Where's the food, Uh, you know? And uh, so Bob King had an important role. Uh, I'm sure he did other things too. But uh, uh, So so, uh, he's your son, Saul. I don't care. Cursed be anyone. He's so pious about this. And you know what? The rest of the army says, wait a minute, you want us to kill Jonathan because he refreshed himself with some honey? And Saul almost has a rebellion in the army on his hand. He makes a foolish vow. He's got no right to make that vow. And you might say he assumes the role of a prophet. Who made you prophet, Saul, that you should pronounce, cursed be anyone who eats while we are going uh, 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 to battle. What right did you have, Saul? So it's a foolish act of sacrifice and then a foolish vow. Fortunately, the soldiers say, no, we're not going to punish our hero, which brings us to our hero. I want to tell you a little bit about preachers preparing Wives of preachers can tell you the agony of, 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 of a husband preparing. Know that, Joe. Uh, wives know the agony of, uh, of uh, you know, ask my wife on Friday, how's he coming along? Oh, he's not talking to me. Uh, you know, uh, you know, ask her Saturday afternoon. Well, he's mad because he can't come up with the right message. Uh, you know, ask her. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, I had a breakthrough. It's like an epiphany. <laughs> and here's, I'll invite you into my life, okay? You know, and, you know, it's, it, it's good that you know this every now and then, you know, 
when, you know, preachers preparing, what do they go through? Friday night, Saturday morning, I'm, I'm studying it. I'm, I'm seeing 13 and 14, but it's not really coming to me. And even last night, I was wrestling with it. And it really wasn't until this morning that it really hit me. Maybe I shouldn't be spending so much time on Saul. Maybe I should be spending more time in this message on Jonathan, on Jonathan. So for what it's worth, here's 15 minutes of Jonathan. Now, Jonathan does something quite interesting. Talk about Green Berets, talk about Navy SEALs, talk about Army Rangers, talk about um, uh, uh, special ops. Jonathan is special ops. Jonathan is special ops, okay? What does he do? In the first part of chapter 14, he sees the Philistines camped over here, and they're camped over here. What is in here but a big ravine? It's a big ravine. All right? Now, I've taken, I don't take everybody on every trip here, but nobody comes here. Nobody. There's actually no place for the bus to to stop on the side of the road. I asked the bus to stop. He says, where? I said, here. He says, I can't stop here. I said, come back and pick us up. And so we get out and we go up to this hill here because I want to show people where something actually took place place. No church has been built here. No synagogue has been built here. No mosque has been built here. Nobody goes here, but this is where it took place. Even today, the Arab village up here is named Mukmas. Even today, the Arab village up here is named Giba. Giba and Mikmash. The Israelites were camped over here. The Philistines were camped over here. Traditional way of attacking is you have your army together and you march together and you march and you run right into them. You know, uh, not today with machine guns and everything like that, but you don't do it. But in ancient times, that's the way you attacked. So Jonathan says, no, we're going to do a commando raid. And in some ways it was crazy. He goes all the way down here the bottom, and then climbs up hand over fist and surprises the Philistine garrison right up here at the top with only he and his bud. This is what I want to focus in on. Chapter 14, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate uh, uh, of Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub. Uh, Keep going, verse 4. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, look up now from your Bible at this, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the one was Sine. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. This is actually where it took place. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come let us go to the garrison of those uncircumcised. Now watch this, watch this. 
it may be that the Lord will work for us. I want to zero in on that. It may be that the Lord will work for us. He did not have any direct command from God that if you do this, you'll win. He takes a risk and trusts God, and he says, maybe. Joe, the Hebrew word is ulai, and in, and in modern Hebrew, ulai means what? Perhaps. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to do this. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. And what do they do? This is what they do. This is what it looks like in the Sunday school class. Here's Jonathan and his bud climbing up the cliff. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He doesn't need a whole army. He can do it with you and me. And the armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I'm with you, heart and soul. It's going to take a heart and soul commitment to do this crazy uh, 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 maneuver. Only two of them, commandos. Behold, we'll cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until you, we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we'll show you a thing or two. Excuse that, but that's what they were doing. You come on up here, buddy, if you think you can beat us. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, his armor bearer after him. They flailed before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And and after that first strike, which Jonathan, his armor bearer, made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a, half a furrow's length of an acre of a land. Within a half an acre, they killed 20 of them. After this hard effort of climbing up the cliff, there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked. And it became a very great panic. And they reported it to Saul, who can see it from a distance. They said, what's going on over there? That's Jonathan and his bud. They've just defeated the Philistine garrison. Just two of them. That's what I want to talk with you about today. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Jonathan is a commando. He's a Green Beret. He's a Navy SEAL. He's a Ranger. He's special ops. And when he goes, he says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I want us to focus in in 10 minutes on Jonathan. And I want us to focus in on, and I think the Lord's given me this. No, I'm not inspired, but I think the Lord, perhaps the Lord gave it to me. And I'm struggling with how to apply this wretched Saul to us. Maybe it's Jonathan the Lord wants us to see. Jonathan was a risk taker. And that's what I want to leave you with today. 
Jonathan took a risk. But he wasn't blind in doing it. He was trusting God. God did not give him a revelation. Jonathan, if you do this, I'll give you a victory. But he did have enough confidence in God to take a risk. He knew that he is our God, right? And he wants us to win our battles against the Philistines, but he didn't have a direct word from God. He said, perhaps the Lord will give us victory. So come on, let's go. And the Lord did. He took a risk. Faith, people, involves a risk. Some of you will never know what faith is because you've got to have it all written out for you. You've got to have it all written out for you. It isn't all written out for you. Even, even here, it's not all written out for you. Faith involves some risk. Some of you said, well, if the Lord would really tell me exactly one, two, three, four, five, I would do it. And you're never going to take a risk. You're never going to launch out in faith. Jonathan did not have a definite command from God, but he had enough assurance that God was with him to take a risk and leave the rest with him. Some of you will never know that because you got to have it all figured out. Well, it's good to plan ahead. Of course, it's good to plan ahead. But God has some surprises for you also if you take risks. No, don't act foolish. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that. But Jonathan wasn't acting foolishly. He was saying, Lord, I believe we can do this. Come on, my bud's going with me. Oh, God, crown our, our efforts with your success. And God did. And I believe it's because he was willing to take a risk. God's will for your life does not always come out of heaven in a letter. <sighs> Step one. Oh, thank you. Step two. Oh, thank you. Step three. No. Doesn't always come out. You've got enough promises here. Now you need to take some risks. What you talking about, Dr. V? <laughs> well, I can't tell you specifically in your life. But if you've never learned to take a risk, you've never learned what it is to trust God. Get married, get married, get married. What if in the second year, what if in the first year, what if six months, you'll never get married. <laughs> and you shouldn't get married. Don't afflict that wife with your fearfulness. You, 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 marriage is a risk. It's worth it. Anybody going to say amen to that? Amen. I didn't hear any amens to that. Other. It's worth the risk. You say, but God, is she going to, in five years, are we going to, Find somebody else, girl. Find somebody else. <laughs> oh, that's just one thing. It's a big thing, marriage. 
Oh, well, I'm, you know I'm not saying, any, meeny, money, mo, I'll pick her. That's it. Of course not. <laughs> not saying act foolishly. But some things are not just programmed for you with a telegram from heaven. You just got to trust God without acting foolishly and take that step. And in faith, you'll find that you don't, ah, that you land on something solid. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've never learned what it is to really trust God. It may be that he'll give us a victory, and he did. Thank God for Jonathan taking a risk. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I'm not sure if that was C.T. Studd or Adoniram Judson or one of those great missionary statesmen from the 1800s, but I love it. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And that involves risks. Somebody told me years ago, there's three types of people in this world. Opportunity breakers, opportunity takers, and opportunity makers. It's the opportunity makers that take risks. You might break an opportunity. You might even take an opportunity if it presents itself to you. But will you make an opportunity? I think that's the faith that God honors that's celebrated in Hebrews chapter 11. Those guys in Hebrews chapter 11 didn't have the whole thing planned out. He went forth to a country he didn't even know where he was going. Honey, we're going on vacation. Where are we going? I don't know. (laughs) Trust me. Oh, trust me. He'll show us. But, but, but I need to go to AAA and get the book. Well, I got to know which country we're going to so I can get the right book. Abraham was taking a risk. So, thank the Lord for Jonathan. He took a risk. Perhaps the Lord will give us victory. He made the opportunity. He didn't wait for the opportunity to come to him. He made the opportunity. And I think that type of living is exciting. Make sure you've got a partner with you who's willing to do that, okay? That's where you do want to make sure, you know? You know, sweetheart, I might be in Irian Jaya among the jungles for the rest of my life. You sure you want to jump in on this? She thought three seconds, and she said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we didn't end up in the jungles of Irinjaya. We ended up in the jungles of Santa Clarita. <laughs> and it's been worth it. And I think she would say it's been worth it. She took a risk. Her mom thought it was pretty stupid risk. But eventually she got on board her mom. Hey, listen. It's an exciting life if you take legitimate risks and trust him. It's exciting. 
It's exciting. These are the people who move history ahead. These are the people who move their church ahead. These are the people who move their movement ahead. Risk takers. They don't wait for life to come to them. They take life and seize it. I sound like a motivational <laughs> speaker here. What's that guy with the, uh, the beautiful teeth? He's six and a half feet tall. And little thing. Not Joel Osteen. That's a, <laughs> I sound like a motivational speaker here. But you know what? I am. I'm trying to motivate you to trust the Lord and to take risks and to seize life. And don't let life seize you. Don't let life come to you. This is not just positive thinking. If anybody should be positive, it should be we who have a promise from God. There I go, Lord. (laughs) But you're not going to fall down a cliff. If you really trust him, you take that step. You're going to land on solid ground. Seize the opportunity. Trust him. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, I thank you for Jonathan in the midst of a dad who made one mistake after another. I thank you for this young man and his sidekick who said, let's go get them. Let's trust God. They seized life. They didn't wait for life to come to them. And I pray that we, like these biblical characters, not just thinking positively, but thinking in faith, will move ahead And trust you as we make our decisions in life. Crown us with your loving kindness and tender mercy. And give us victories as we seek to seize life. And go forward and trust you. We commit these dear sojourners to you. In Jesus' name, amen.